Okay, so uh, let's go back to Genesis here tonight. Back to Genesis in chapter number 39, the very end part of, chapter, of Genesis 39. And then we'll find our place also in Genesis 40. Which, by the way, the, while you're finding your place there, the very first readers of the book of Genesis would have actually been the Israelites coming out of Egypt. And so Moses, of course, used by God to write uh, the first five books of the Bible. And he wrote them by God's leadership because, you know, the people were coming out of Egypt. And so their thinking had been inundated by Egyptian thinking. And so they needed really to get back to the beginning to understand who they were and who the real God was. And, uh, and what family life was supposed to be like because they'd been exposed to all the Egyptian way of thinking. And this has great relevance to where we are tonight because, you know, uh, we, are, we are immersed on a daily basis in the enemy's culture. Do you agree with that? In the enemy's way of thinking in terms of education and entertainment and everything, it's... It's the world's uh, way of thinking that we're being just immersed in. And so I think it's a real good idea for us to take a whole week and get kind of re-immersed in the Word. And to do that, we're going to go back to the beginning, okay? And so I'm looking forward to getting into it tonight. Now, we have the girls up front now. Y'all pulled one on me. You did a little switcheroo here, and guys are in the back. So the girls need the preaching tonight. Is that what it is, guys? They... They need the preaching tonight. Mm-hmm. All right. Very good. I get it. I get it. That's good. A belief is something you hold. A conviction is what? Something that holds you. Very good. I like it. God's revelation will give you rest if you will rest in it. You've got to make the choice to rest in it. And so that's a conviction about God's Word. And then last night we saw that you need a conviction about God's standard of what? Purity, very good. God's standard of purity, you're exactly right. And you need that now, make up your mind now to live according to God's standard of purity so that when you're in those circumstances and situations, you won't give in. That's, that's what that little phrase means, that a conviction is something that holds you. How, how many of you have already, you've, you've rode the zip line? I know some have done that. Okay, so the, the, the harness held you? All right. Hey, that's great. Okay, so we're talking about convictions of a godly young person, convictions that will hold you. They'll help you, all right? And so, um, if think about this. This is all the pre-preaching, okay? This don't count on the time, okay? So, all right? Um, if you live without convictions, you'll give in to temptation. You agree with that? If you live without convictions, you will give in to temptations. And then I want to add a little phrase to that. If you live without convictions, you'll give in to temptation, and you'll give up in times of trial. I want you to stop and think about that tonight. That's one truth we're really going to try to drive home. That if you live without convictions, you'll give in to temptation, and you'll give up in times of trial, difficulty that comes your way. All right, so tonight, I want to preach to you 
about another conviction, the convictions of a godly young person. So tonight, it's this conviction. You need to have a conviction about God's care in your circumstances. Can we say that one more time? Thank you. Okay. A conviction about God's care. God's care. Are you... Okay. Conviction, remember that means that you're convinced. You're convinced. I'm convinced this is God's word. I'm convinced that God's standard of purity is right and that I ought to drink water from my own cistern. Okay. Remember we covered that last night. Don't have to recover all that, right? Okay. I told my wife, man, I, last night I said, man, I had, I hit a... I had a thing I didn't know how to explain in the midst of preaching, you know, and so she laughed at me about that. So, so anyways, but con- I'm convinced that God's standard of purity is right. And then tonight, you need to be convinced, you need to be convinced that God cares about you in your circumstances. God cares about you. Be convinced about God's care in your circumstances, that namely that God loves you, that his love doesn't change with you. Like when things are bad, it doesn't mean that God loves you less. You ever get to thinking, man, God must not like me at all because things are just not good. What did I do? You know I mean? That kind of thing. Okay, you need to be convinced about God's care, God, which means, you know, God's love, um, God's involvement in your life, and God's power even though your circumstances may be saying he doesn't care. All right, so we're going to look at the life of Joseph here. And I think you'll see that Joseph had good reason at least to wonder, I wonder if what I dreamed is really going to happen or not. And I wonder if, you know, God's still at work or not. All right, so are you in Genesis 39? Have I given you enough time to get there? Probably so, right? Okay, so Genesis 39, let's stand in honor of God's word here and let you stretch just a minute. And um, let's read Genesis 39, beginning in verse number 20. Genesis 39, verse 20 says, And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. How many of you think this was a really nice prison with big screen TVs and, you know, just whatever you wanted to eat that day. And, okay, we've got one that does. uh, Yeah, a few others. (laughs) No. (laughs) Not at all. It was a dingy, dark, dreary dungeon. Okay? It's a terrible place. And he was there in the prison, verse 20 says. But look at verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph. And showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And so he gets a promotion, even in prison, because of the type of character that this young man had. All right, now go down to chapter 40. And it came to pass after these things. Now we'll talk about what these things are here in just a moment. But it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord the king of Egypt... And Pharaoh was wroth against his two, two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers, and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. 
And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued a season in ward. Look at this now. I'm telling you, this whole thing is built around people having dreams. Look at verse 5. And they dreamed a dream, both of them. All right? Each man his dream one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream. The butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were what? Sad, all right? And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with them in the ward of the Lord's house, his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? And they said unto him, We have what? Dreamed a dream. We have dreamed a dream. And there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, now look at this, all right? Do not interpretations belong to who? God. Do not interpretations belong to God. Do not interpretations belong to God, Joseph said. Tell me, I pray, tell me them, I pray you. And so then what happens is the butler explains how he had a dream about three branches and how they budded and had grapes and so forth. And then the baker had a dream how he had three baskets on his head. Okay? <laughs> it's quite a humorous story when you read it. And so in any case, we'll get into what, what the story was, but I want you to see that, that the butler forgot Joseph in verse number 23. And then look at chapter 41 in verse 1. It says, and it came to pass at the end of what? two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and we'll come to that tomorrow night. Okay, so Pharaoh dreamed. I want you to look at one more verse with me here. I want to give you a point of reference. Chapter 41 and verse 46. Chapter 41 and verse 46. Who could raise your hand and tell me what, how old Joseph was when he was sold? 17 years old, all right? Now look how old he was when he was brought before Pharaoh, okay? Are you looking at 41, 46? And Joseph was how old? 30 years old. So how many years has it been since he was 17? 13 years. 13 years. 13 years. 13 years since he had the dream, right? 13 years since he had the dream. One year maybe with Potiphar. And then we know that he had two full years after the, the baker's and the butler's dream, right? We know we had at least two full years there, so maybe at least a year with Potiphar. He had to have some time there to kind of get things going and for there to be prosperity and so forth. Everybody with me? Two years on the end, so there's three. How many in the middle? Ten. So would it be safe to say then that probably Joseph spent about 12 years in prison? Right? 17 sold into captivity. Maybe about a year with Potiphar, things going well. And for the last 12 years, he's been in jail for something he didn't do. That's a trial. You agree? That's a tough circumstance for a young person to face. And maybe tonight you have a tough circumstance in your life. I want you to be convinced from God's word, to be convinced that even in my tough circumstance, even if it's a 12-year trial, God still cares. How about we pray tonight? Father, I don't know what all the people are going through tonight that are before me. 
It may very well be that their families are going through a real tough time, a real trial right now. It may very well be, God, that their churches are or that, God, their individual lives may be something in their friendships, maybe something related to their health. Maybe it's their parents have split up or divorced or they're bouncing back and forth between homes. Um, Father, I don't know, but I'm convinced of your care tonight, and you do know. And so I sure want to preach this message tonight and have your help and let you speak to hearts, trusting that you will and that you're the all-wise God and that you cared about Joseph while he was 12 years in the prison under these circumstances. And I pray you'd help us to be convinced about that tonight. We love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Appreciate you standing in honor of God's word. God is a refiner, not an arsonist. God is a refiner, not an arsonist. Okay? A refiner takes something, maybe it's clay or maybe it's uh, gold or silver, and they will put it in the fire, they will heat it up, so that then they can work with it and mold it and shape it. God is a refiner. He puts you in the fire of a trial. He's a refiner. He's not a pyro. Some of you in here are pyros. You like to play with fire, right? You shouldn't do that. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, but God doesn't play with fire. Hey, listen, when you're going through a trial, it's not because God is an arsonist. He's a refiner. He'll purposefully put you in a trial because that's what's best for you. That's called a circumstance. Uh, the word circumstance, as it implies, like the circumference of something, circum means around, and stance means that you're standing right in the middle of it. Okay? It's your circumstance. It's what's happening in your life around you. It could, be, it could be that your family just moved to a new location. It could be, you know, a tough teacher at school. You know, there's teachers that you like and there's teachers that like you and give you a lot of homework, <laughs> right? And so it could be that. It could be a boss who just continues to give you more hours, or it could be a co-worker at your, at your job place who doesn't show up, and so you have to work their shift too, Okay, so there could be all kinds of circumstances. I mean, there, there's a lot of, lot of things that go on in your life. You have circumstances every single day, which, by the way, your greatest problems are not the things that are around you. Your greatest problems, rather, is that which is within you. You're tempted to think that your real problem is your brother or your sister or your friend, <laughs> right, or your parents or your youth pastor. There's your real problem, right? My youth pastor. All right, now I'm getting some amens, okay. Um, the real problem, you know, it's our country. It's, it's this, it's that. Well, I get that there's problems out there, but really your greatest problems are not somewhere out there. They're inside of you. See, your problems and the circumstances, they don't, listen, they don't make you who you are. They reveal who you are. All right, I'm going to say that one more time, and maybe you ought to write that down. Your problems, they don't make you who you are. They only reveal who you are. How many of you like coffee? 
Oh, yeah, man, a law, that is great. Okay, good, I'm in good company. Okay, so here's the deal. With coffee, that which determines what flavor it is is what blends you put in the coffee maker or in the Keurig, okay, as you put that in there, or whatever you do, as you, as you go to Starbucks and you order, you know, whatever roast it is that you like, and whether it's a dark, medium, or light roast, and so you, you it's, not the, it's not the water that determines the flavor of the coffee. Isn't that right? You know, if you didn't like the flavor of a coffee, then you don't say, uh, could you try some different water? The hot water does not make the flavor of the coffee. Watch this. It only reveals what flavor it is. All right? Are you with me? I like sweet tea. I like sweet tea. I, I, like, I like tea when sugar is cooked into the tea. Yes. Yes. It, it should be sweet enough that you could use it on your pancakes the next morning if you had to. Huh? Is that right? Okay. So if you, if you want sweet tea, then you, you've got to put sugar in it. And the, the water, the hot water, just releases the power of sugar. <laughs> All right? It just releases the flavor of that tea bag. If you don't like the flavor of that tea bag, then you need to change the tea bag. <laughs> All right? Okay, so look. The trial that is in your life, it does not make you who you are. It only reveals what's in the inside. It reveals what's in your heart. Okay, if I have a cup of water sitting here and I have a cup of acid sitting here, if I bump the cup of water, what's going to spill out? Water. Good. Okay, if I bump the, this is a tough one now, if I bump the cup of acid, what's going to come out? Acid. Why? Because that's what's on the inside. Hey, listen, every single day, something is going to happen to you that's going to reveal what comes out. And if water is inside, then water comes out. If acid is inside, then acid spews out, right? In the form of words and actions and looks and mean looks. (laughs) It all depends on what's on the inside. We're talking tonight about a young man named Joseph who was going through a very difficult time. And, and maybe you are going through a very difficult time. If you're not going through a difficult time, you very soon will be. Boy, that's encouraging, isn't it? But it's life. It's true. I'll tell you the truth. Sometimes I see young people like yourself going through tough times. I can, I can think of some right now. I've got a young man in my mind that's coming through even our bus ministry. I've got another young lady in our mind who grew up in our church and her parents, her dad left the home. I mean, all kinds of confusing stuff. And I meet with this young lady and her mom and, and my wife in, our, in my office. And I'm just, I'm meeting with her. She's uh, 14 years old now. And she's just going through all kinds of emotional turmoil and such. And she's a pleasant young lady. And I'm just trying to keep a relationship going with her and, and trying to help her through these things. And, and then I'm thinking of this young man that, that is coming up through a bus ministry. And I mean, another family in our church has taken him in. He's just got a real rough background. And, and I'll be honest with you. I see what some of these young people are going through and maybe like some of what you're going through. And if, if I have the ability, I would take them out of that trial because I, I care. But I heard about the little boy that saw a uh, butterfly struggling to get out of a cocoon. Have you heard about this? 
that, that butterfly was, you know, trying to bust open the cocoon and get out to fly. And the little boy had compassion, and he reached down, and he opened up that cocoon, and he picked up the butterfly. And I believe the boy probably was like maybe three or four years old. And he picked up the little butterfly, and then he said, fly, Mr. Butterfly. And the butterfly just went like that and went down. He said, fly. <laughs> and he went up, and then he went down. What the little boy didn't realize is that that butterfly needed the time of struggling in that cocoon and getting out of it to develop the wings that he has and to be strong so that he could fly. And so there are some trials that, that if I had the choice, I would say, God, get me out of this in a hurry. I don't like this. And that doesn't mean that God causes evil things to happen. Are you with me here tonight? It does not mean that at all. He's so sovereign that he allows people to make choices that even affect others. And, and, and there's trials that come in. And by the way, we live in a fallen world where bad things happen, even to good people. And we struggle with those things. But listen, our God is a refiner, not an arsonist. He's a God of compassion and love and mercy and grace and goodness and power. And yes, he could open us up out of that and lift us up out of that trial and that difficulty. He could do that. I know that he could. But the God in heaven knows that sometimes you need the time of even struggling to develop who you are and he's so much in charge that he's able to do that but you here's the main thing listen it doesn't matter what's going on in your life it matters who he is and that you can trust him that you can trust him that he is still good even though you're going through a tough time or your family has gone through a tough time you can still trust him he's still good he's still god he's still able Joseph was convinced of that, and you need to be as well, and I need to be as well. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I know that he's still good, and whatever happens doesn't change that fact. And sometimes he calms the storm, but sometimes he calms his child in the midst of the storm. Joseph, 12 years in prison, 10 years at this point when we pick up our Bibles and read in chapter 40. Ten years at least in prison. It's been 11 years since he dreamed about his, his brothers and, and that whole thing. And so, I don't know about you, but if I'm, in those, if I'm in those chains, then I would begin to wonder, I wonder if this thing's really going to happen or not. I mean, think about his circumstances. He's been hated by his brothers. They, saw, they were going to kill him, and they decided to sell him. And, and then, on top of that, he was sold to Potiphar. That turned out to be a good thing. But then, he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. And so now, he's been in prison for the last 10 years. I mean, talk about some tough circumstances. What happens then is that the butler and the baker are thrown into prison. Because pharaohs at that day and time were very temperamental people. They were very moody. One day, they, you, they loved you, and the next day, you were in jail. And so... I don't know exactly what happened, but the butler, which would have been like the man that would taste the wine before the pharaoh would drink it to make sure there wasn't any poison in it, tough job, right? He would be the one that would taste test that to make sure everything's good. And then the baker, of course, would make bacon, make delicacies, but somehow he got chopped, and so he's put into now the Egyptian prison system. You with me? Okay? So they had dreams. 
The baker had a dream and the butler had a dream. And the butler's dream was told first. And so what I love about Joseph, I mean, just to show you that he still had faith in God, he said, do not interpretations belong to God. Now, don't just read over that in your Bible. That is very, very significant. It is saying this, I still believe that God's going to come through. He is the interpreter of this. And so he was convinced about God's care in his circumstances. And so here was this baker and the butler who had a dream. And so Joseph says, listen, interpretations belong to God. Tell me the dream and I'll tell the interpretation of it. And so the butler went first, and he said, I dreamed about the three branches. They budded. And so Joseph, just to make a long story short, you can read about it later. Joseph said this. Joseph said that three branches are three days, and in three days, Pharaoh will lift you back up to your original job. You'll get your job back. Well, that sounded good to the butler. So the baker said, hey, that's pretty good. I'll tell you about my dream, thinking that it was going to be good for him too. He said, I had a dream that there were three baskets on my head. And then the birds of the air came and they started eating at the baskets. And Joseph said, essentially, not good. The three, day, the three baskets are three days. And in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head off your neck. He'd be a dead man. And that's exactly what happened to the butler. He was restored to his position. And that's exactly what happened to the unfortunate baker. Okay? Joseph said to the butler, please remember me when you are delivered back into Pharaoh's presence. I'm here unjustly. Hey, listen, Joseph was not whining. Joseph was not complaining. Joseph was just simply mentioning matters of fact. And, and so he said, would you please remember me? Well, a week went by, a month, three months, a year, year and a half, two full years. Joseph was totally forgotten by the baker, the butler, totally forgotten. That's a tough set of circumstances. You know, there are circumstances uh, in your life that are circumstances of your own making. And then there are circumstances in your life that you did not create. They are things that happen to you even while you're doing God's will. That would be the circumstance that God, that Joseph was in. He was doing right, he was living right, and yet these circumstances came on him. But there was a bigger picture that Joseph couldn't see fully. But he could see God. He could in the sense of knowing who God was. And he had the faith. And he said, do interpretations, do they not belong to God? And so there is that set of circumstances. But I want to thank God tonight that God cares about you even when you've done wrong and made your own set of circumstances. He still cares. A few years back, my family and I, we went to uh, SeaWorld down in San Antonio, Texas. And so, has anybody been there? Have you been to SeaWorld? Okay. Oh, a good number of you. That's great. All right. So, we went to see Shamu. I'd heard about Shamu all my life. I realize that there's more than one Shamu, I guess. But in any case, I just thought, I got to see Shamu while he's still able to get around. <laughs> and so, we went there, and, and in, there in this, in this complex, if you've been there, then you know there's this, obviously, this huge pool there, and, and so Shamu is going to make his entrance, and, and uh, so they had these set of seats that were called the splash zone. 
And so they went up about 15 seats high or more, maybe 20, I don't remember. But they were marked in like bright yellow markings that said, caution, you will get totally soaked. It said. I thought Shamu's a little old. He can't probably get this high. And so we sat down about row 10. I thought, well, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt here and see how he does. So anyways, my boy Trevor was about two years old at the time. And so we were getting ready, and it, and, and it had this video deal that came up on this huge screen. Had this picture of this boy that's out on the, out on the beach, told this story, kind of got, you know, got you into it. And, and, and so in any case... He was trying to, I don't know what he was doing. Anyways, the whale's going to show up. That's the big point. And so, <laughs> anyways, probably at, at, at a certain point, I mean, we're all excited about seeing Shamu. Now, the only thing is, is that Trent Trevor, he couldn't say Shamu. For whatever reason, he kept saying shampoo. Come on, shampoo. Come on, shampoo. I want to see shampoo. And so, in any case, then this word comes up on the screen, and it said this, believe. And there he was shampoo. <laughs> I thought, oh no, we are going to get soaked. This is not good. He started down to here at this end. And if you've been there, you like do like this to try to get him to take his back fin and like to splash you, you know? And, and I mean, these folks are just getting totally drenched. And so then he's coming down here to our side and Trevor's saying, come on, shampoo. Come on, shampoo. What do you got, shampoo? Let's go. You know, we're always like, come on. Give it to us. Your very best. Come on, shampoo. And he got over there, and he started splashing. It was like this. And Trenton, Trevor, rather, is going, stop, shampoo. Stop. It was hilarious. Poor kid. I'm telling you, we got totally soaked, just like the seat said. Do you know why we got totally soaked? Because we sat in the splash zone. Duh! <laughs> Even in his old age, shampoo had it. <laughs> hey, look. Look, here's the deal. There is a zone of life that God has set in order that if you get involved in premarital sex or you do drugs or you do alcohol, hey, listen, you are in the splash zone of judgment. And it's no wonder that if you have sat there in the seat of the scornful or you're walking in the way of the sinners and you're, you're in the seat of the ungodly, if you, I totally butchered that verse, but if you're in the wrong place, it's no wonder, it's no wonder. I said it's no wonder that those things are coming in your life. Because when you jump on a grease pole, my friend, you're going all the way down. <laughs> you get that? You jump on a grease pole, that's good country preaching logic. You jump on a grease pole, <laughs> you're going all the way down. That's exactly right. Is this making sense? Can I tell another Trevor story? <laughs> Trevor's my middle child. Bless his soul. <laughs> He wanted to get on, the, on this tire swing deal that was, you know, one of those big tire swings that like four people can sit on with the chains that go up, and it goes around and around, and he was wanting to get on it, and I think he was too, kind of the same year, and, and so he's wanting to get on there, and he did not want to wait for it to stop. He wanted to get on there while it was still in motion, like, I don't know what he was going to do, like grab on and then swing up. I have no idea, but I just saw him getting hit by that thing going, oh. So I said, Trevor, you can't go and get 
there, that thing is in motion. And so he kept trying and kept trying. Well, in compassion, I just took him and I laid him out on the ground in fatherly love. I mean, I just flattened him right there. And I said, son, do you understand that if you get in the path of that big swing, that this is what's going to happen to you? He said, yes, sir. <laughs> hey, look, there are things that are set in motion that generations before you tried to do and get away with, and it did not work for them. It didn't work for the next generation. It didn't work for the generation of the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, and it's not going to work for you. Is this making sense? But I do want to thank God that God cares for you even when you step in the wrong place, even when you're sitting in the seat of the scornful, even when you've done wrong and not trials are coming your way, but consequences for your actions are piling on you and piling on you and piling on you of your own making. Listen tonight, he still cares. He still cares, and he can still rescue you out. And yes, there are consequences for forgiven sin, but thank God in heaven for forgiven sin, and that he can set you on a new path and give you a new life, and you can leave your past way behind. But we're talking tonight about a young man named Joseph who was doing things right, and out of nowhere, this trial just hit him. I remember preaching at a youth camp in Kentucky, and we were playing softball, and it had been a while since I'd played. I love softball. I love baseball and such. But I was playing over at uh, shortstop, I believe it was. And, and so I grounded the ball, filled the ball, set, and threw. But when I threw, the ball sailed on me. Have you ever had a ball sail on you? Like, it just, get down, get down, get down, get down, get down. You know, but it just kept climbing, and it went over the first baseman's head, and it bounced one time. And right behind first base was the volleyball court. And the seventh and eighth grade girls were, <laughs> were over there playing an innocent game of volleyball, being where they're supposed to be, doing what they're supposed to be doing. And somebody said, Watch out! And this seventh grade girl turned around at just the right time, and that softball came and said, <laughs> Right in her nose. Bless her heart. Bless her nose. Well, it didn't bend it too bad, I'm glad to tell you. Actually, at the end of camp, we took a picture together of that softball, you know. But, but I mean, that just hit her right out of nowhere. She was where she's supposed to be, doing what she's supposed to be doing, and this trial came, bam. Is that another camp up in uh, Michigan? And, and these young men, they were playing, uh, they were playing laser, I'm sorry, they were playing uh, paintball. Yeah, playing paintball in... Totally blank. And, and they were playing paintball. And this guy, he was, in, he was in this house that they constructed, you know, that was like a barrier so you could hide behind it. And he's picking people off. Well, the next thing he knows, a doe, a deer, a female deer comes in that house with him. Can you imagine? <laughs> he just lit her up. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? Here's this guy. The last thing you expect is a deer, a, a doe, a deer, a female deer. Good night. Where'd that come from? There are trials like that. I think about, you know, when you go to the bank and maybe you're making your deposit, you know, and you've got that, you've got that tube and you or that, yeah, that tube that goes in the other tube and that, yeah, is that the technical term? That's <laughs> 
and you put your money in there, and like you're putting it over into that, and, and, and it accidentally hits the window, and you drop it, and now it's between your car and the thing. And you like try to open your door, and it's like, pff, ah, pff, ah. You can't open your door if you drive forward. You know, you're going to run over your tube and the money and there's somebody behind you. What do you do? Those are aggravating things in life. It's almost like when you go to the pantry and you're going to get the, the Pop-Tart, whether it's the chocolate chip Pop-Tart or the brown cinnamon sugar Pop-Tart, two of the best that have ever been put in silver lining, and you go there and watch this, the box, the box is empty? That's wrong. That is so very wrong. That should be like the 11th commandment. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not leave an empty Pop-Tart box in the pantry. So wrong. <sighs> Aggravating. We went over to and do all that stuff that a big, you know, three or four-year-old boy can do. And, and so, in any case, we started out, and then I started smelling smoke. And what happened is it burned up a belt on that lawnmower. I thought, oh, great. Here I am just trying to be a blessing. Now I'm messing up his equipment. So I took Tyler inside and said, well, I'll at least get some weed eating done. I can't do that while you're out here, bud. So let me do VCR tape. VCR tapes are like about like that. They're square and they've got like this. Oh, okay, good. And so we, <laughs> we put that in there and I pushed play and the VCR said. <laughs> Pushy Jake started pulling the tape out. I thought that must have been a bad tape. I put another tape in and pushed play and it said. <laughs> I'm just trying to be a blessing here. Ate up two of his tapes. Finally got it to work. In fact, they had another VCR, and Tyler said, Dad, I think they use this one. Thanks, bud. So I went outside, and then I thought, well, I'm going to get some weed eating done. So I started to try to crank that, that, that weed eater, and I pushed the little bulb thing and primed it. And then I said, weed eaters are demon-possessed. <laughs> and I just kept trying to, I was pulling it, I was saying, I'm trying to be a blessing. Ah! There's aggravating little things in life like that. You got time for a few more aggravating stories? Is that a camp there in Missouri, and it's called Sagmon. It's kind of out in the middle of uh, hills around it. It's hot. While I was there, I was visiting with a young man that was from Heartland Baptist Bible College. He just graduated, went into the ministry, and he said to me, he said, Brother Jason, would you explain to me how do you uh, balance marriage and ministry? And so I'm trying to give him a, you know, some kind of a answer. And about that time, a locust from Egypt flew and got in between my eyeball and my glasses. You know how hard it is to look intelligent while you've got the locust from Egypt going between your eyeball and, the, and your glasses? And he's like trying to sweat bee comes and sting me on my bottom whip. You know how hard it is to preach without your bottom whip being so big? Terrible. 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 Trials and difficulties in life. Same week. Same week. Same camp. You think it couldn't get worse than that? It did. Thursday night, they had fireworks and had pizza out. It's in my throat. I, <laughs> I don't want to gross you out, but i got to tell the rest of it now, right? Too late. And so I felt like something was like hanging down. I thought, oh, no, I've preached my gizzard loose. 
I didn't know exactly if I had a gizzard or where it was, but I was pretty sure that that was my gizzard hanging down there, you know, like right beside my uvula, just like right there. There's two things. I, thought, ah! I went inside the bathroom and I looked in the mirror and there was something black hanging down in there. I was like, ah, my gizzard is hanging loose. So I went to, <laughs> you think I'm making this up? I'm telling you the truth. I went to Brother Hogan, and Brother Hogan was the camp director, and I said, Brother Hogan, I think my gizzard just came loose. And he, he took his flashlight, and he looked in there, and what it was, what it was, was a big black carpenter ant. And he was enjoying the same piece of pizza that I was, but on the way down, he grabbed hold evidently with his mouth against my uvula and said, I, I can't do that! He'd go part way down, and then I'd cough, and he'd come part way up. A big old black carpenter ant, and Brother Hogan was laughing. He was dying. He said, you've got a carpenter ant in your throat. I said, help me, help me. So he pulled it out. It was about like that big. It was unreal, unreal, unreal. Sweat bee, locust from Egypt, and then the carpenter ant. I'm not going back to Sagmont Baptist Youth. I'm just kidding. Man, I'm telling you, those are, those are trials. Those are funny things that happen that can be aggravating. You know, but then there's other things that happen in life that are much more challenging, that are a real legitimate trial. My, my dad's uh, first wife passed away with cancer in 1963, leaving him with four ch That's a real trial. He met my mom riding horses. They married, had me and my brother. That was the next trial. <laughs> um, my dad wasn't in church. One time while we were riding horses together, I actually um, was trying to witness to my dad about a self age of 12. Never really got in church. And I said, Dad, um, I said, I have to tell you, I got bitter at God. Because I thought, why would God let my wife, who was a godly Christian lady, she went to church, he would go with her on some occasions, but he said, why would God let that happen? I'm sitting on the back of that horse, and I didn't have an easy answer for him. I said, Dad, I don't know how to explain that, but I know God loves you, and I know he cares about you. Well, I'm glad to tell you that... Um, one day when I was preaching a youth rally at my home church, my dad walked down the aisle and joined the church, Grace Baptist Church in Bowling Green, Kentucky. He'd been visiting there at least on Christmas and Easter for 25 years. He said, I just wanted to make sure it was a good church. <laughs> my brother went through a trial. My oldest sister had a son who died because he climbed up in a tree. He was... Um, two years younger than me. I think I was 10. He was eight. He climbed up real high in a tree and he got into a power line, instantly took his life. My same sister um, went through and has a young a man now in her home, a young man, her son, their son. Married, she married a man from Vietnam and, and uh, they have a son who's autistic. And I see some of the things that Alex has gone through and what my sister has gone through, and I don't know how to explain that. I've got another sister-in-law, my wife's sister, uh, Becca. Ben and Becca Lowe. Ben is um, the dean of men at Heartland Baptist Bible College. Their son, Philip, has a very rare uh, disease, a 
degenerative type disease that right now um, Philip is, is um, I guess he's four years old and uh, he probably won't live to be eight or ten. I don't get that. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? I don't know how to explain that. Because I know that Ben and Becca Lowe love the Lord. And they're raising him, and they love him, and they help him. And he sits in the back, and sometimes he'll make kind of some noise, and Ben will have to take him out during a service. But I'm telling you what, they're faithful every single service. They're in Sunday school, and, and even, even having him in class with them, I'm telling you, they're being faithful. You know why that is? You know why they're not getting bitter? Because they're convinced there's a God in heaven, and he cares. There's a God in heaven, and he loves you. There's a God in heaven, and he's powerful, and he's all-wise. And I can't explain everything that's going on and why. I don't understand the why, but I do know who is still in charge. And he does care about you. And if you're going through something with your family or your health or your relationships or your friendships or your church or whatever it is in life that you're going through and you're feeling like, I don't think I can take this anymore, and you're tempted to give up, to give up in this trial, I'm here tonight to encourage you, consider the life of Joseph who stayed in God's will because God was still at work. And I can see now ways in which God is using some of these trials that I've just described to you to mold us and shape us and make us after his will. But sometimes you just want to give up. We were, um, I was with Glory Bound, it's a quartet out of Heartland, and we were up at uh, a camp in Washington State, and um, they had a big lake, and they actually had a um, they had a uh, boat, and they pulled the teens around on a big tube. Three people would lay down just on their on their stomachs, and guys at one time, then a girls another time, of course. And and so you'd have a person here hanging on, and then a person in the middle hanging on, and then a person on this side hanging on. Can you picture that? Have you ever done anything kind of similar to that? Well, the object of the game was to try to knock these guys off the, off the tube. And the guy driving the boat and another guy watching, I mean, they would get the speed up and they'd come around and, you know, they'd get to going in the, in the waves and it would be just hitting the water like this and you're going sideways like that. And so they said, hey, Brother Jason, would you come ride with us? And so I was a camp speaker there that year. And so I said, well, sure, I'll do that. So it was Josh Knuff and Brother Rick Williams and myself. And so they said, Brother Jason, we'll put you in the middle. It's not as hard. And I said, thank you very much. So I'm in the middle. Josh Knuff is over here. Brother Rick Williams is over here. And so we start out. I mean, it's on. He just puts the throttle down, and we're like, and the sprays in your face. It kind of like what y'all were doing with the, with the boats today, and people spraying. You can't see, but you're still going. And so I'm hanging on, and it's going, da, 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 da. And we're coming around the corner, cha, 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 like this. And then I heard Brother Rick Williams on this side say, I can't hold on any longer. He was gone. So he was off. We got him back on. So now he's going for the guy to my left, Brother Josh Knuff. And so he's going around here. And I mean, the speed is up even more intense now and going faster and faster. Like that. And then cha, 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 cha. And like this. And then one real hard one trying to get him off, pulling around that way. Ta, 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 ta. And I, and I looked over and Josh was like gone. 
And then I heard this, <laughs> He was still hanging on. He was under the boat, hanging on for dear life, and he didn't fall off. It was awesome. He had a heart to hang in there. You know, the trials that come in your life and family can kind of feel like that. You get to thinking, I don't know if I can take anymore. Just everything coming at you at one time. <laughs> and then maybe you say, I can't hang on any longer. What do we do when somebody falls off? Well, we don't leave them there. Throw a flag up, man down, go get him, put him back on. Hey, listen, if you have somebody that stops going to church, gets out of the youth group, throw a flag up, go get them, bring them, put them back on. Then maybe you're at a place in your life where you just feel like you're barely holding on, or maybe you feel like you're under it all. I'm here to tell you tonight, there's a God who loves you, and he cares about you in your circumstances. And I want to encourage you tonight, by the grace and help of God, to continue. To continue. Because God is present and he's working out his plan in your life. Would you bow your heads with me here?